Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with Mackenzie and Micah. And today we are going to look at section 6A in traditional Quaker Christianity, which the section is called Christ's People. And it's a big long quote from Robert Barclay, um, who we've mentioned before. He was a Quaker theologian in the 1600s, who was known for having written um, one that's called The Apology for the True Christian Divinity of the People of God Called Quakers, or something like that. I'm sure there's a paragraph that comes after it. Yeah, they got really long titles back then. And the other one is um, a Quaker catechism, which I can't remember the exact title of, but it's just referred to as Barclay's Catechism. Um, So anyway, so in this big long quote, Really, he's talking about what does it mean to be a Christian and what is Christianity. Which is interesting uh, to think about because so often among Quakers, particularly uh, particularly liberal Quakers, but not only liberal Quakers, it is a really frequent conversation to talk about what makes someone a Quaker. Mm-hmm. But what makes someone a Christian is perhaps an, an even more difficult and, uh, and, and interesting question than what makes someone a Quaker. Right. And I would say, I mean, and outside of Quakers and two, of course, you have the yeah. what makes someone a Christian conversation. Right. And, um, you know, there are plenty of um, people in other denominations who would say, you know, who would give their definition and then say Quakers don't meet it. Uh, we're a bunch of heretics or apostates or just whatever. Um, but in here, Barclay says as his definition, that a Christian is one who has the spirit of Christ and is led by it. And he says, we will have to divest many so-called Christians of that designation. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the early Quakers, uh, the early Quakers were not hesitant to say that others uh, were not actually Christians, that others who professed to be Christians were in fact not possessors of that faith. Yes, it's really common when you're reading this old-time Quaker stuff to see them talk about professors. And and so that's they're saying, okay, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Right. And honestly, that was, uh, to, to, be, to be frank, uh, when I first started reading George Fox's journal, that was one of the things that um, was most difficult for me and the most turned me off from George Fox was that he had, like, absolutely no problem saying that, like, all the other people who call themselves Christians and all the and, and the Jews and and all these other religions, they're all they're all walking in darkness, and only we, the Quakers, really have the truth, and they all need to receive it. Oh God, he's holding Caulfield. They're all a bunch of phonies. I'm not familiar. You didn't have to read Catcher in the Rye in high school. No. Oh. Yeah, but they're all a bunch of phonies. That's right. That's about right. And that was how George Fox felt, and obviously how Robert Barclay felt. That um, the world is full of people who call themselves Christians. In fact, there's over a billion Christians in the world. Um, or is that a number too low? It's more like two billion, isn't it? I think it's like a billion. I, don't know. I think it's like a billion Catholics. Um, I know half the world's Christians are Catholics. That's the extent okay. of my statistician stuff in for that, wider Christianity. In that case, there's probably like there's probably over two billion people in this world who, who consider themselves Christians. But how many of them are actually uh, living the faith that they profess? And for the early Quakers, the answer was not very many. Uh, most, most people in, in the minds of the early Quakers were living a form of Christianity and living according to a set of rules that their false leaders 
uh, got for them out of the pages of that book, but they didn't know Jesus. And so for Robert Barclay, for the early Quakers, what really defined a Christian is someone, is a people, because they define, they, they define this in corporate terms. Christians are a people who know Jesus and obey him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that's where the, the name of, the official name for Quakers is the Religious Society of Friends. And um, that's taken from a bit in... It's John fifteen fifteen. If I'm remembering right, mm-hmm. um, where Jesus, you're, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. There you go. Which is which, is like you know how I, how, how I speak to my friends. You know, <laughs> saying you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And that's that's how you know if you're Micah's friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> but uh, to be fair, Jesus had a lot more authority to say something like that than I would. <laughs> but yeah, so so the the core of the Quaker movement is is this idea. Um, that you you are a follower of Jesus when you follow him. You are a friend of Jesus when you know him. And if you don't know him, you know, I mean, frankly, uh, as, as bad as it sounds to, to, to my ears and to many, this whole idea of uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the, even the personal part, I think, though, Quake, many Quakers, they would not use the Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior language. Yeah. I sure wouldn't use that language for a variety of reasons, which I might get into in another podcast. Um, that actually is not too far from the teaching of early Quakerism in the sense that Quakers demanded that you have a personal conversion, that you have a personal encounter with Jesus. And as opposed to, well, I was baptized as a baby, and I've been told this all my life. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a Christian since I was, what, eight days old or something. Right. And so, so yeah, uh, it turns out, that Quakerism and uh, sort of revi- revivalist, revivalist evangelical Christianity of Jesus Christ and your personal as your personal Lord and Savior fame have something in common in that they both demand a, a personal encounter with Jesus and a conversion to his way and not merely uh, being a formal part of a community and doing the stuff. And um those evangelical sorts would also talk about being born again. Whereas when you look at what a lot of um, friends from earlier days, and I know even up through like Elias Hicks, the, the guy who's gets his name tacked on to liberal Quakerism. um, He would talk about um, crucifying the old man Mm -hmm. um, because you have a new life in Christ. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, I don't think he used the words new life, but he would talk, definitely crucify the old man was the thing that he would say. And I think that's a phrase that he was using that goes all the way back to early friends. This, this is the this is the really interesting thing. This is why, for me, who's a Christian or what is a Christian is a more interesting question than, than who or what is a Quaker. Because the early Quaker movement wasn't concerned with who is a Quaker. And again, as, I, as I've mentioned in a previous podcast, I'm most interested in what the early movement was about. The, the early movement is what's, what's most fascinating and inspiring to me. And the early movement of Quakers was not interested in defining who is a Quaker. They were interested in defining who is a, who is a Christian, who is a follower of Jesus, who actually walks in the light that we're all talking about here in our, in our steeple houses. Um, and I... I think so. So we mentioned at the beginning of this that in um, other denominations, you know, they might not consider Quakers in general to count whether we're looking, regardless of what branch or whatever we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not consider us because of the the not doing water baptism um, generally, like we talked about in episode something teen. Um, 
it was like 15 or 16, something like that. Um, or the, or the, um, communion with physical elements, um, Eucharist. Um, or because for a lot of Christians, um, what makes you a Christian is subscribing to a particular creed. And it's been a really long time, so I might get this wrong, but, um, you know, like the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in um, God the Father and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, and died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He descended to the dead. Oh, right, right. Descended to the dead on the third on the third day he rose, he rose again. again he ascended into heaven he is seated at the right hand of the father he will come again to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit in the holy catholic church the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen okay thank you micah um, <laughs> i know that one too <laughs> sweet see i've gotten all screwed up because i actually growing up i mostly only went on weekday masses where they don't do the nicene creed but then like every now and then I, i've gone to enough sunday masses that now like the nicene creed is like trying to break into when i attempt to do the apostles creed mm -hmm. it's anyway um the nicene creed is way longer and yeah. has things like seen and unseen or now they retranslated it to visible and invisible um, begotten not made of one substance with the father uh, yeah anyway <laughs> anyway so there's like this long recitation of like, if you believe this checklist, congratulations, you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, or, and in, in, in the liturgical traditions, and if you do these procedures, so you, you, right. you, you, you recite the creed, you say you believe the creed, you do the procedures, you take the, you take the wafer, you, you drink the wine, you do these things. You get the, you get, you get the, sprinkled you get, or dunked, pick exactly. one. Exactly. That, that's what makes you a Christian. And so, like, for 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 the vast, the vast majority of the church throughout, like, most of European history, uh, what made you a Christian was that when you were a baby, they sprinkled some water on you. And then when you were 13, you agreed to be confirmed in the church. Which gets you anointed with oil. Right. And so that's what made you a Christian. It was, and, 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 I mean, of course, belief was a part of it. Of course, you know, all sorts of other things were part of it. But when it really came down to it, what mattered was you had the proper, like, as Martin Luther says, and Martin Luther, one of the founders of Protestantism, his definition of the church was a, pl a place where um, the word is preached and the sacraments are properly administered. That's his definition. Hmm. Okay. So Quakers had a very different definition. You could preach the word, and for Martin Luther, when Martin Luther meant, said preach the word, he meant preach from the Bible, Right. Uh, which, of course, Quakers have a different understanding of the Word of God, which I think See, episode one, Jesus yeah. Christ is the Word of God. Right. Um, but so for Martin Luther, uh, the if, if the Bible was being preached, if you were preaching out of the Bible, and if the sacraments were properly administered, meaning, you know, people got their water baptism, they got, got their bread and wine, et cetera, et cetera, um, then that was effectively the church. And the early Quakers said, no, you can do that stuff. You can preach out of the Bible. You can administer your rituals. And this still isn't the church because Jesus isn't known, loved, and obeyed as teacher and Lord here. Oh, I was going to say, um, also, if you if you want a modern example of uh, what makes somebody a Christian, there's a thing in evangelical churches of saying this, the Jesus prayer or the sinner's prayer. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what this sounds like. I assume you might have some more familiarity than I do. Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it? Okay. I, I know there's, like, some short thing that, like, you say it, and, like, that's supposed to be the 
accepting Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior thing and it's like a, it's, 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 it's a good prayer and that prayer has has you know a long history in the in the contemplative christian tradition of of being sort of almost a mantra where you can say lord jesus christ son of the living god have mercy on me a sinner and then as you keep saying it to yourself throughout the day you might be honing in on a smaller phrase like have mercy on me and then you might even just get down to mercy or whatever particular word it is that, that is really resonating with you. So, like, the, the sinner's prayer is, is, is widely used in contemplative practice to focus on God. Okay. And, obviously, to, to prostrate oneself before God as a sinner in need of salvation. Okay. Um, so, in this big quote from Barclay that is in the book, um, there's a... I, I just want to pull up this little couple of lines where it says, Take away the spirit and Christianity is no more Christianity than a corpse is a man once the soul and spirit have departed. And a corpse is a noisome and useless thing, which the living can no longer stand and bury out of sight, no matter how acceptable it was when it was actuated and moved by the soul. Barclay had a way with words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's right. I mean, the the uh, the spark that lit the early Quaker movement and that has lit uh, uh, reforming and revitalizing Christian movements throughout the church's history was the spectacle of seeing the church, uh, the visible church, as a corpse, as, 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 as just all these people who get together and read out of this book and read about Jesus and do these rituals, but don't know Jesus uh, in, a, in a personal way and don't obey him, don't listen to him, don't follow him. Um, it, it's, it's a mockery that's, that's, that's worse in many ways than if the church, than if the church so-called didn't even meet. So how do we how do we think this applies to today? I mean, uh, are would George Fox be justified today in saying that you know, oh those Catholics they aren't really Christians? Uh, you know, those the, the Lutherans over there with, with 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 their with their word and sacraments they aren't really Christians. Like you know, George Fox would have said these things uh, mm-hmm. like in his time. Like oh, and he did. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. Um, George George Fox had this analysis that was, the, and the early Quakers in general had this analysis that was unsparing and said, if you're not really living, if you're not really really living in the life and power of Jesus Christ, um, as we see it, uh, <laughs> you're not really a Christian. And you know, I think most Quakers today would be like, oh, that's a horribly divisive, and how could you possibly say that? And intolerant. And intolerant. Um, what? But. So how does that speak to us now, like as as modern day Quakers? Who, at least for me, like I'm inspired by the early movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I I wonder whether Fox encountered people within other denominations who would say, okay, well this one is a Christian, as opposed to you know the bulk of that denomination. Or mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I can't think of a specific example, but I do feel like having, you know, reading through his journal, I do feel like there are times, he, he's kinder, he, he, he remembers some people more kindly than others. Um, and I, and I, this is a part of the reason why, like, I do think looking back, the early Quakers weren't interested in the early movement in defining what a good Quaker is. Mm-hmm. They're interested in defining what a follower of Jesus is, what a Christian right. is, what true religion is. Um, and so when you read George Fox's journal, like, he does encounter people who are faithful who don't call themselves Quakers, right? Mm-hmm. Now, they might be a radical dissenter. I, I, I haven't actually read the entirety of his journal. It's really long. It is really long, yeah. Um, but but so like for the early for the early movement for the very early movement later it became a sect like pretty quickly it became a sect. But in the very early movement 
it wasn't about who's a Quaker and who's not a Quaker. It's about who are who are people who are being faithful to Christ and who are not. And it just happened to be that most of the people being faithful to Christ were, in fact, joining the Quaker movement. <laughs> uh, but but there was but but I think that distinction is meaningful in that it wasn't about initially it wasn't simply about a membership in a particular uh, brand or organization. Right. Well, and this sort of gets into institutions versus people, right? right? And so he's calling out corrupt institutions and institutions in which he doesn't really see much life. Um, oh, he was calling out people too. Well, yes, yes. But, I mean, say, but that an institution seems dead or lifeless does not mean it is completely lacking in people who are faithful right. and, and living in the life of the Spirit. Well, and and the other part of that too is that so a huge, I mean, Quakers' primary evangelism was to people in ex, in the existing church structures, like like George Fox's in the in his first years of ministry. George Fox's primary form of evangelism was to go and interrupt established church services and and, and preach an alternative message. Yeah. So I learned that apparently, if they waited for like Episcopalian churches, well, Episcopalian churches, I think Anglican churches as well, have a response time after the sermon and if he waited until then he wouldn't get arrested yeah but they they there was a law that was on the books from the time of mary the catholic queen that um said interrupting a sermon got you thrown in jail yeah and um and and so if he interrupted the sermon then he would have to go to jail but um or didn't get permission from the priest to speak but um quakers actually then ended up like like they got like lawyer Quakers, like I mean, they got some lawyers and magistrates became Quakers, and then with their help, they were arguing that well, since England is a Protestant country, and that's a law about church made by Mary the Catholic, right? <laughs> it should apply. Well, so so a good example of this, like so, George Fox would would frequently, with permission, like Mackenzie says, there there in in, in the English uh, church tradition, there was a designated time when the congregation could respond. And I think, as you said, they probably had to be acknowledged by the priest. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you'd have to be acknowledged by the priest. The priest would acknowledge you, and then you could speak. Um, and Quakers took great advantage of this. However, there is one case uh, in George, pretty early on in George Fox's journal um, where he just can't contain himself yes. because the priest said something so <laughs> wrong. The priest said something so wrong. And he uh, he's, he's, burst, he's burst out and starts speaking, um, and it actually does have to do, I think we probably covered it in an episode one, it has to do with who the Word of God really is. Um, but occasionally, uh, George Fox would just burst, burst in on a, on, a, on a sermon, and he would get beaten up and arrested. Yeah, I really like the imagery that's at the beginning of um, John Watts's song, I think it's Don't Drop Your Hat, uh-huh. where he's talking about George Fox walking in and interrupting the, the preacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you haven't heard that song, I recommend going listening to it. So I guess really the question the question for me is, um, and this is just this is like sort of one of the most difficult questions of, of my life. This is something I think about all the time. Is in the in the early Quaker movement and in most other times in like in like you know uh, Europe you know post Christian or Christian European history, um, the life of faith, the life of the church, was deeply significant in that. If you just if you were to disrupt if if you were to if you were to undermine the credibility say of the Church of England, that was actually a radical act that had, that had practical political social economic consequences right 
Mm-hmm. Like it actually affected power structures, affected who rose and fall, fell in power. Um, it had real outcomes um, because the life of religion, the life of faith was so uh, deeply interwoven with everything, right? Mm-hmm. Today in the United States and in Europe, that's not the case. Uh, for the most part, uh, religious beliefs have been, religious beliefs and religious communities have been relegated to the realm of the private, uh, and, and, and do, do not, do not touch, um, especially in Europe, but increasingly the United States, do not touch our shared life as nations. And so, and there are pros and cons to this, but this is a unique, this is a unique situation in history. This is, this is the, the first time in 2000 years where, or much longer than that where this has been the case, that religion has been separated uh, in this way, or, or that theistic religion, let's say, has been separated uh, from our, our corporate life as, as nations. Um, and so what does it mean for us to define what is a Christian in this context? Uh, because in, because in, uh, in George Fox's day, to say, to say to be a real to be a, to be a follower of Jesus to be a Christian to, to practice true religion you must know and fo- you must know Jesus and you must obey him and here's what that looks like that was not merely sort of a philosophical opinion that you could take or leave this was actually a statement about what it meant to live as a as as a member of the of the community as as a whole as a nation even so What's the practical import? What's the practical import of figuring out who's a Christian these days? Um, what's the practical import of being a Christian these days? Uh, that is a, that's a, a, a deep and troubling question for me that I don't have a clear answer to, and I, keep, I continue to search for. What is what is the political, economic, social, emotional, community relevance of our faith? You can find us on the web at QuakerPodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes. Thank you.